Well, good morning. <clears throat> I'm feeling old today. I, uh, all morning long, I've been struggling with a font issue that my font is not big enough. So if I get lost, you know, just come along with me. So we're in a series, we're just in the last week of a series that's called Upside Down, and uh, we're going to be talking, or we have been talking about how the system that the Bible describes of how to live life and how to live well is a lot of times upside down from the system that the world describes about how to live well, how to live life. And so we've talked about out is the new in and weak is the new strong and small is the new big. Today we're going to be talking about love is the new law. And so if you grew up in a church, or if you didn't, if you just joined a later but then started doing some study or something like that, you have a feeling, you have a guess, you have, a, you have an expectation of where you think I'm going to go next. Love is the new law. It sort of almost tells you what I'm going to head if you've been part of the church. You know, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go into some Paul verses, you know, some verses from Romans and Galatians and Ephesians, and they're going to be complicated, but they're going to be kind of interesting. And then we're going to conclude that the law has a purpose that was to lead us to Christ, to teach us about sin, to convict us of sin. And then we're going to learn that, that Jesus fulfilled that law, and now we should love others and love God, because love is the new law. Ta-da! There you go. I did it. That's, that's, what, that's what we expect to hear. But because this series is called, and by the way, all that's true. I'm not mocking that. All that's true. Um, but because this series is called Upside Down, I'm going to do it a little different. We're going to go different places today. Um, so I've been, I've been thinking about this. Well, first of all, I want to put this verse up because I want to get this verse in your head. Because as we start talking, there's, you're going to need some places to hold on to. And this verse, hopefully, is going to give you something to stick things onto as I talk. So it's from Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. I think this is a verse you should memorize. I think this is a verse you should know. I think if you write down anything today, you should write down Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Okay, it's Paul, so like I said earlier, it's a little bit of a complicated sentence structure, I know that, but trust me when I say that is important. That is worth it. That's worth your time to ponder and to figure out. I've been pondering that verse, I don't know, 15 years maybe. I say it a lot of mornings, I say that verse. Um, so I wanted to start, so I started, I mean, I started pondering this thing that started with the Lord's Prayer. Remember when I taught the Lord's Prayer? And I've taught all the verses of the Lord's Prayer now except the very last one. The very last one is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's interesting because there's really no uh, agreed on meaning for that. Like we don't know exactly what Jesus was trying to get across. Because if you think about it, why? Why would we ever need to pray, don't lead me into temptation, God? <laughs> God's like, oh, right, I won't do that. Right? It does, there's something about it that's not quite square in our heads. So I was, I was thinking about that, right? And this verse is always in my head. And then I'm thinking about the Lord's Prayer and why he would say, 
pray that you'd not led into temptation. And then, you know, as we were around Easter time back then, and, and, I, and I came across this well-known story about the night before Jesus was arrested. And the night before he's arrested, he, go, he takes his disciples, and he goes into the garden, the Garden of Gethsemane, and, and he says, okay, we're going to pray. And then at one point he says, okay, you guys stay right here. I'm going to go pray by myself. And he goes and he prays by himself. But right before he leaves them, he says this, pray that you will not fall into temptation. I'm like, oh, wait, there's a, there's a connection here. This is the thing I've been thinking about. What does that mean? He just said it again. Pray that you won't fall into temptation. That's what he leaves his disciples with on this really historic night that Jesus knows this is about to change everything. Okay, so Jesus goes and he prays and he comes back and the disciples are sleeping because they didn't understand either. They're like, okay. So they're sleeping and he says, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. All right. This is important, right? Jesus repeats this thing. He says, this is the thing. This is the most important thing I could tell you on this night before the world is going to turn into chaos. Pray that you don't fall into temptation. Okay. Think about it, though. Where did, what, what temptation is he warning them about? Because like our first thoughts when we think, like if you're praying the Lord's Prayer and you pray, pray that don't lead me into temptation, what's your thoughts about what that means? What's your thoughts in your head about what you're praying not to do? Because most of us, the temptations that we're worried about are like these physical, public temptations, right? I'm tempted by cheating or greed or overindulgence in something or sexual sins. Was that the stuff Jesus was talking about? When he said, pray, disciples, that you don't fall into temptation? Like, was he thinking, hey, tomorrow I'm going to be killed, so pray that you don't wake up and then run over and rob a, a, a food vendor on the side of the road and then take that money and buy something that is your habit. <laughs> no. That's not what he thought was going to happen. Pray that you don't get drunk tomorrow and eat a whole pizza and start a bar fight. That's not what he was worried about. That's not what was going to happen. So what was going to happen? It like dawned on me all of a sudden. It's like this light. He's worried that once things go crazy, that his disciples are going to fall into this pattern of despair and fear and infighting and hatred and discord and jealousy and fits of rage and selfish ambition and dissensions and factions. That's what tempts us when things go crazy, when life just crashes down around us. Those more, those more infamous public sins tempt us too, but I think they're coming from these lower things. Disgust. Oh, sarcasm I wrote on there. Discord, dissensions, jealousy. And that's, that's what Jesus knew was going to happen, and that is what happened. The disciples just kind of broke apart. They didn't do very good. They were wanting to give up. They were wanting to hide. They were scared. They were denying. They were not setting their minds on things above. Right? Let's hook back onto this first verse. Jesus said, or Paul said, set your minds, set your hearts on things above, not on earthly things. Where do these temptations come from? It comes from looking straight around us. 
what I've called the down and around. We're just looking down and around. And we're getting, we're losing sight of the infinite. And we're just drowning in the finite. Right? And that's what, exactly what Jesus was warning the disciples about. And exactly, I think, what's going on around us. I think there's a lot of down and around. A lot of setting our minds on earthly things. So what do you think that looks like today? The down and around kind of looking? Well, I think you already know. Because I think we're seeing it everywhere. I think, I think more than I've ever seen it before. There's this collective energy, this collective power, this collective something, lava, right below the surface. It's our collective spirit. It's our animating force. It's the motor that I see just kind of driving underneath people as they go from day to day. And that motor, that energy, that collective force is coming from, and I think simultaneously we're being robbed by news, gossip, social media, talk radio, late night comedians, Instagram, colleagues who after you talk to them you just have to get up and take a walk. Comment sections. I mean, I think that's the worst of them all. That energy, that energy, that is our energy that's bubbling right below the surface. And it would be great if we had an energy bubbling right below the surface that was positive, that was great. But, I, but this energy is those same things. Sarcasm, disgust, rage, hatred, anxiety, resignation. That's what I see, like, powering. Not even just, not even just people who are sort of tense, but people who are just powered by this kind of movement of energy. We don't stop and think about it too often, but that energy is exactly what we're consuming. It's like if you, went, if you were in the grocery store and you looked at the ingredients list, if you could look in the ingredients list on the content that we're consuming, the ingredients would say that this content contains sarcasm, disgust, rage, hatred, anxiety, dissensions, factions. And sometimes it's packaged up nice, like it looks like health food. It's packaged up nice. It's packaged in the form of news or a social movement or religion. But really, I think, if you objectively look, a lot of the same energy is below those today. Other times it's not packaged nice at all. Right? What we see on Twitter, what we see on Instagram. Sometimes it's just straight up, no chaser, disgust. Anger, anxiety, dissensions. So that got me thinking. So I want to read a couple things from Galatians, from Paul. First, we're going to start with Galatians. In Galatians, Paul said this The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft. All those things that you think of, like, okay, that was the temptations that, that maybe Jesus was talking about. Okay, but wait. Paul goes on, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. I warn you as I did before, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Whoa. 
Those who live with hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, that's kind of hard to ignore. I mean, that really, that really gets something inside of me because it seems like, wow, that's sort of where we live. That's sort of us. I mean, that's sort of the energy of the day. And by energy, I mean like the air we breathe. I feel like it's, it's everything that, that we're moving in. I think it's coming from all sides. I don't, I don't think anybody has sort of the monopoly on that. I think it's coming from everywhere. And I think we should also be a little careful about doubling down and saying, well, I have religious hatred and discord and rage, right? And I have, I have religious, uh, righteous, righteous dissensions and righteous factions. I mean, nowhere, I don't see anywhere that Jesus or Paul or Peter or John or James or Matthew comes close to prescribing that sort of thing for us, that sort of energy for us. Religious hatred and religious discord. Okay, Colossians, same, you know, same section that we've been looking at before, but a little lower, Paul says this, but now you must rid yourselves, rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Rid yourselves of these things. So, Kurt, it sounds like you're a little wound up. <laughs> like maybe you even are in a bad mood. You woke up on the wrong side of the bed. And does any of this have anything to do with following the law? Or did you just take your title and then just do whatever you wanted? Sort of a political answer. No, I'm glad, I'm glad you asked. Because I think this same animating energy, with this thing, this down and around, where we just constantly are only looking here and we're forgetting to look above. We're forgetting to set our hearts and set our minds on things above. That energy is exactly the same energy that gets religious people tripped up into this idea of legalism. Religious people have this superpower of getting wrapped up into the minutiae of exactly what's right and what's wrong. This way's right, that way's wrong. You are sinning, they are not. This is okay, that's not okay. Where's the line? Like exactly where is the line before you start to sin? We love law. We love it. Law gives us food for our pride, food for our guilt, food for our ignoring and separating from other people, food for comparison. It moves everything from the heart up to, to the mind, which I personally love. I don't have to feel. I can just think. We don't have to be good. We just do good. The law is literally this really perfect human enabler. It's a drug for us. And legalism comes from exactly this, from setting our minds on earthly things and not on things above. We set our minds on the code itself. We look down and around. We parse it. We dissect it. We impose it. We expand it. And one day, Jesus was kind of wound up at the religious elite for exactly this kind of behavior. So he's talking to the top religious people and he was, he was quite angry that they focused so much energy on law keeping and on being right and on judging others. 
but they completely were forgetting the most important things, to love God and love your neighbor. This, there's this section in Matthew that's called the seven woes, where Jesus uses the phrase woe to you seven times. We're going we're gonna to just look at a couple of them real quick here. Woe to you, teachers of the law, you Pharisees. So woe to you, you religious elite, you hypocrites. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to. I mean, let that sink in. Two religious people, he says, you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. And you're not entering, and you won't let them enter either, even when they want to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much of a child of hell as you are. (laughs) Did you expect that kind of strong language from Jesus? You go everywhere trying to convert people, and once you've succeeded, then you make them twice as much of a child of hell as you are. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. (laughs) Whoa. That was a joke. Their focus is all wrong. They're being super strict about the details, but they're missing the big picture. They're looking down and around. All right, so still, Kurt, you're still not in the right place. So let's go back to the beginning to try to walk ourselves back out of these woods. This is where we started, and let's go back there. Since then, since then, you have been raised with Christ... Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's what I want to focus on. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So we've looked at these lists from Paul already, where Paul says, Don't have this stuff. Rid yourself of all this stuff. Paul has opposite lists as well. And and usually, oftentimes, they're found really close to the list that we just saw because Paul is wanting to make this contrast super obvious. So in Galatians 5, we read this. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Breathe that in. I mean, for me, I don't, I, maybe I'm off base. Maybe I'm the only one in this thing. But for me, even just reading that list makes me like, whoa. That would be so great. The fruit of the Spirit is this, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In Colossians, where we've been looking, in Colossians chapter 3, he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with, so put on this, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if you have a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Again, it's just such fresh air. And then Philippians 4, my wife's favorite verse, finally brothers and sisters, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Wow, these verses are like the Spirit singing to me, calling my spirit forward. It's so, it's what I really want. This is the energy that you would rather have teeming below the surface, right? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness. That's the energy you want. This is the electricity that you want energizing, animating, moving, the motor you want moving you. Compassion, kindness, humility. This is how you long to feel and you long to be. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure. So, how can we move in that direction? How can we get there? How can we start doing stuff? First of all, I want to acknowledge that there is clinical anxiety and depression in the mix of our, current, our, of our current energy. I want to be clear that I don't believe you can just think your way out of that. I've taken medicine to help me manage anxiety and depression, and I think it's important that we understand and treat the real and physical aspects of those diseases. No guilt, no shame. But for the non-clinical aspects of what we're in, I have three words for you. First, dwell. Dwell. Dwell on the passages that we read above. Galatians 5, Colossians 3, Philippians 4. If you're taking notes, it's 5, 22, 3, 12, 4, 8. Have them available to you. Read them. Say them. Get them inside your head. Pick one of them or more. Pick all of them to memorize. These are very helpful, very useful. When my kids were little, we memorized uh, Philippians 4. We, we made up a word, tenerpla, that I still use today, if I'm trying to remember that. Tenerpla, true, noble, pure, be lovely, admirable. Tenerpla, you might have to do that. Memorize these, have them, or, or else just put them in front of you. Put them on, the, on a card, on your desk, on the sink, wherever. Number two, fast. I don't mean run. I mean cut back on something. Cut back on the consumption of discord and anger and sarcasm. 
The first place to go is to just look, start looking at them objectively. What, what are you feeding on? Look at it objectively and say, what, is there underneath the surface of that sarcasm, discord, factions, hatred, anger? Is that underneath the surface of what, we're, of what I'm consuming? And you may need to decide to wholly or partially stop from them. In the last few months, I have completely stopped all social media. I have never, I have never been led towards true, noble, right, lovely. And so I quit. I'm not saying that's forever, but I, I'm, I'm not there now. Now, it might be different for you. In fact, my wife has several Facebook groups that are positive, that do make her feel more right. Right? So I'm not saying Facebook is bad. It's just where I was going wasn't doing that. But if, if you're going to places that, are, that are actually are bringing you closer to those values, keep doing that. I mostly quit the news. I limit myself now to about a half an hour a day. And I still feel like I know plenty. <laughs> like I can't get away from it. Ask yourself this question. Why am I reading this article? Have I already read 53 articles that say the same thing about this topic? I quit comedy that's based on disgust and sarcasm. <laughs> there's a lot of it. And again, there's, there's a good place that some of that has had. Comedy has really helped change some societal things. But how much of it do you need? I've had enough for now. And third word is set. Set. Continue or start to set your mind and your heart on things above. Pray through Colossians 3.1. Daily, if you have a routine like that. Pray through, ponder through. This really, I think, this has always helped me, but I think in these times it's helped me even more. I come back even more to this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. There's this, there's this past tenseness to that first phrase. It's done. You have been raised with Christ. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life, appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Amen. Heavenly Father, I think sometimes we need to come before you in, with conviction, with humility, with some understanding that we need you so desperately we need to set our hearts and our minds on you and try to bring into our lives the things that your spirit brings. Peace, joy, love, contentment. And we need to do as Paul said and rid ourselves of some of those other things. I pray now that we as a group, as a family, as a nation, as, as a people, can start breathing in new air, 
we can be animated by new energy. That we, that we can find love for you and love for our neighbor. Amen.